at leadership, what he meant by eldership. We looked at the whole thing of how we pray as a community, that it's not exclusively for people that are in ordained positions of leadership. It's, it's the responsibility of the local church community to, to have the privilege of praying for those that are sick in the church community. And so I looked at that. That was the first thing. Then I looked at his second statement where he said, the prayer of faith will save the sick man. And I had a look at what that meant that James is talking about, those extraordinary times in our lives where the miraculous breaks in and there's a miracle. That's the only way it can be described. That is the where the prayer of faith is in operation. There's a special gift of faith that comes and it's like a flash of eternal glory into our lives and we experience the miraculous. And that is an amazing thing when it happens. And so it has... It has a, an incredible power when the miraculous breaks into our lives. And we, we long for more of those moments, and we are praying for more of those moments. But here in verse 16, James says a third thing about prayer. And he says, simply says this, The prayer of a righteous person, according to your translation, might say it slightly differently, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so I would like to talk about effective powerful prayer this morning. And I don't know about you, but that's a very encouraging scripture for me. Because all of us, at different times of our lives, we, we, we face great challenges, things that we trust in God for. We trust in God for healing, or we trust in God for uh, provision, or we trust in God to restore relationships, or whatever it might be. And here, James's encouragement is, is brilliant. It says, the prayer of a righteous person will uh, will have great power as it works. And so I want to look at a couple of things this morning, very simply out of this verse. First of all, he talks about the quality of the person praying, the kind of person that is praying. And then he talks about the kind of prayer and what power it has and that it's effective. And so I'd like to look at those two things to, to, with you this morning. What it means to be, what does he mean when he talks about the righteous man, so the righteous person? And then what he means when he says it has great power as it is working. And just to remind you, as we've gone through this um, discussion of James, the, the theme of prayer is not a new one in James. Remember, he's spoken about prayer a lot. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 5, he opened the subject of prayer in the first chapter when he said, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God. So he's already been speaking about prayer from chapter 1. If we lack wisdom, ask God, cry out to him. And his promise to us was, he gives generously to all without reproach. And if we ask for wisdom, it will be given us. And so we had a look at that. And James goes on to say, if you remember in the first couple of chapters, when we ask, we should ask with faith. We should ask without doubting. And that someone who doubts is not going to receive anything from the Lord. So he, he asked us to, to pray like that with a sense of faith and, and energy and uh, that our prayer is going to accomplish things. And then he also addressed the, the thing that sometimes we ask God for things and it doesn't seem to work for us. And our prayer is not answered. And James said in chapter 4 verse 3, he said, that happens because you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask with the wrong motive. And you want the, your, the prayer to be answered for your own selfishness, your personal need, your personal ambition. And so sometimes when we pray, we need to be honest, we pray with the wrong motive. And, and James encourages us not to pray like that. 
And then also in, in chapter 4, verse 8, he encouraged us, he said, submit yourself to God. Well, even that is a kind of prayer, coming to God and submitting your life to Him. And uh, he said this, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When, when we have that kind of um, approach in our lives, when we're drawing close to God, when we're submitting to Him, when we're cleansing our hearts, when we're purifying our hands, that certainly is a kind of prayer. And so all these things are pointing to us crying out to God for our lives. And now he comes back in chapter 5 and he says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And that kind of pulls all of these thoughts about prayer together. And I want to say, if you've been crying out for wisdom in your life, if you've been crying out to God, then this should be a key, um, a key uh, summary of that desire of your heart. What, this, this verse that we're looking at this morning. The fervent prayer, the, the um, focused, energetic prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. It should be incredibly encouraging to us. And so even if you feel that you've strayed from God, even if you feel far from Him, if you want to draw close to Him, if you want to feel His presence in your life, the great encouragement to you, the great encouragement to me, if you're still persevering through hard times, if you still need to see the breakthrough, here's the encouragement to all of us. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it works. And so I want to look at that this morning. What I'm trying to say to you is that we all need to lay hold of that more deeply in our lives. I was really, really struck with what Andy said yesterday when he was talking with this Chinese um, friend that he met who was part of the underground church. And he asked this guy, he said, uh, what is the, the main difference that you see between the church in the West and the church in China? And the guy simply said, after a short time, he said, you don't pray. You don't pray. And I want to just say, this is not a criticism, I'm not putting anything on any of us, I'm just saying, if we don't pray, what it does show is that we don't think we have a need for God's intervention in our lives. We're quite happy, we think that we can do it on our own, and that's in the mercy of God, He lets it just do He lets us live our lives by ourselves. Doesn't He? He doesn't push himself on us. But when we pray, when we cry out to him, what we actually are saying is, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your spirit. I need you to help me day by day. And so let that be a motivation for you and for me as we we live our lives from day to day, that our lives are a life of prayer. (laughs) That we simply, every moment of every day, cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, I need your help. Won't you help me? That we admit our need of him. And so there is a connection here between this verse and what I preached a couple of weeks ago, where I talked about the prayer of faith. That's like I described it uh, already. It's that amazing intervention of God, the miraculous intervention of God into our lives, where we ask for something specific, and He answers, and there's a breakthrough, and there's, for example, there's healing, and the person is healed. It's an amazing, amazing uh, moment, this eternal flash of glory into our lives. But James is saying something slightly different here. And he's trying to encourage all of us to do two things. He's trying to encourage all of us to pray and all of us to expect that God is going to respond in an amazing um, way when we pray. Yeah? Because he's, he's, he's now making it a little bit more focused. He's saying the prayer of a righteous person. 
He's not saying the prayer of an educated person. He's not saying the prayer of a specially gifted person. He's not saying the prayer of a leader. He's not saying the prayer of someone who has the gift of faith. He is saying the prayer of a righteous person. It's powerful as it works. And that includes everyone who knows Jesus. That is incredibly encouraging. And so there, there are these two qualifications, the kind of person praying. And I'd like to look at that. What does he mean when he talks about the righteous person? Well, do you, did you notice when he said, when he talked about the, the prayer of faith, he said nothing about the kind of person that prayed that prayer. He spoke nothing about the character of that person or the, the, the quality of life of that person. And isn't it extraordinary, if you've been a Christian for a number of, of, of years, have you, have you not ever thought about this, that sometimes the most extraordinary miracles are done by people, and yet at the same time, there's something in their lives that is not right, and yet it seems like they still move in power. Have you ever wondered about that? And there, you, can, you can look at any example over the last 10 years, great evangelists who... who um, fall morally or they're fiddling the books and they still seem to move in power. Why is that? Well, simply because the Bible says God gives gifts to people and he doesn't take them back. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. So it is true that God gives certain people in extraordinary ways. And what keeps you from what keeps your gift operating over many, 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 many years is your character and your walk with God. That's what keeps the two together, isn't it? And sometimes you can still operate in your gift, because the gift is without repentance, and things in your life personally cannot be right. And that sometimes puzzles us, but that's the truth of how God, in His mercy, <laughs> operates. And so James is now bringing a little bit of a focus and a distinction because he is talking about the kind of person that prays in this verse, all right? He's saying, he's talking about the righteous man. And um, he is connecting in a real sense, he's connecting this to our level of personal godliness. He is. He's trying to say this. Remember, also in James, he's talked about, he said, don't have an affair with the world, don't be kissing the world, and have one foot in the kingdom, one foot in, in um, the world. He's talked about um, being worldly-minded. He's talked about all those things, remember? He's kind of saying this. If you are worldly-minded and have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, don't expect that you're going to see amazing things as you pray. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. And uh, Jesus said the same thing in uh, Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that whatever he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Jesus says the same thing. He's saying, don't have a worldly kind of mindedness when you pray. Trust in me. Believe in me. That's, we have to be uh, wholeheartedly centered on the kingdom and on, the, on His will for our lives. We can't pray with a double-mindedness. Jesus says exactly the same thing. He goes on to say in verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be given you. And whenever you stand praying, listen to the connection, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you. 
Husbands, as we celebrate Father's Day. You know, there's also encouragement in the Scripture that says to us as husbands, do not be harsh with your wives, lest your prayers be hindered. Am I saying that our works save us? No. I'm saying that not only are we legally righteous before God, we believe in Jesus, we are saved by grace through faith, we believe on Christ, there is also a living righteousness in our lives. And that comes as we walk by the Spirit. So what Jesus is saying, if you're screaming at your wife all day and then you pray at night, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Jesus is saying to us, if you pray for something and you hold a grudge against someone else, don't expect your prayer to be answered. Forgive. Live in forgiveness. Live in forgiveness and then God will respond to what you are praying for. It's a very clear connection. So there's a powerful connection between effective praying and forgiving others. And we might not like that, but it seems to me as I read the Scripture, it's a high priority for God. Forgiveness. Living in forgiveness. And so I say to you this morning that the the highest level of godliness is not being sinlessly moral. It's not being someone who um, is able to deny themselves and to seek God with all their hearts. It's not generosity either. It's not being an extraordinary generous person. It's not even being a martyr, dying for your faith. It's not being a faithful church goer. It's not being a prayer. It's not being someone who reads their Bible regularly and is disciplined by those th- in those things. All those things are very good things, and we should be encouraging each other in them. It's not even resisting sexual temptation. And I want to say that's, that's one of the, the, the greatest challenges that we face in our lives as human beings, is to live sexually pure lives. It's one of the hardest things to do. I believe what James is saying is the highest level of godliness, the... the the Olympic level of godliness, the highest level of godliness is simply living in forgiveness. Learning to live in forgiveness day by day by day. And James said in chapter 2, verse 8, he said, if you can live like this, you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that was the golden rule, isn't it? That was the sum of all the law. Simply that we love others as we love ourselves, that we demonstrate forgiveness, that we walk in forgiveness. And this is demonstrating forgiveness. If if you have something in your heart that is painful, and the person walks into the room, you greet them like there's nothing wrong. That's forgiveness. (laughs) If they can tell that you're still angry with them, that's not forgiveness. That's holding out on them, isn't it? This is incredibly hard (laughs) to do. This is only possible by the Holy Spirit. Only possible. This This is a supernatural thing. And so I want to encourage you that we live like that so that our prayers are heard. So what does James mean by a righteous man? The first thing he does mean is that he's talking about saved people. He's talking about born-again people, justified in that sense. Uh, the Greek word is diaku, which means the person who lives by the righteousness of God. Yeah, not by our own righteousness. We live by the righteousness of God. But he's not only talking about those that are saved in that sense. He is talking about those that are also the friends of God. Remember, we looked at Abraham, who sacrificed his son Isaac, 
and what he did demonstrated his belief in God. There was a living righteousness in his life. How he lived vindicated what he said he believed. So you could look at his life and you could say, this is a man who loves Jesus. His works didn't save him. They were just a vindication of what was true in his heart. And so James is saying, it's not being righteous is not only that we are legally righteous before the cross, but there's also a sense that we, our, our righteousness is lived out. There's a demonstrable righteousness in our lives by how we live, by how we talk to others, by how we forgive. All these things that I've been talking about this morning, that demonstrates this righteousness that has been imputed to us by Christ. Is that clear? And so when he says a righteous man, he means both. <laughs> he means those that are saved, and he also means those that have a living, active righteousness in their lives. So we looked at Rahab the prostitute, remember? How what she did with her life demonstrated her faith immediately, and that the whole nation was set free because of that. And um, it's also wonderful to me that when James is talking about this, he's not talking about perfect people. Because he goes on when he's talking about prayer, and he says in verse 17, Elijah was a man just like me and you. He had a nature just like us. And he prayed fervently that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. (laughs) So he's not saying you have to be morally perfect. He's not saying you have to be perfect in your life. He's just saying you have to have a heart after God. You have to be saved. You have to be walking and living your faith out, although you're imperfect as you do that. And God loves to answer those kind of prayers. He's talking about people whose life is one of open obedience that all can see, and faith that is demonstrated by how we live, and all can see that that's the kind of righteous person, someone who lives for others, someone who forgives others, someone who's walking in the grace of God. That kind of righteous person, their prayers have power and are active. And so I simply want to remind you again that we have to learn to forgive as Christ has first forgiven us. And um, remember, even uh, James points to the rich guys in the church, uh, the poor guys in the church that are being exploited by the rich, remember? And he says even to the poor that have been exploited by the rich and, and should have a, an axe to grind and should be able to say, God, this is not fair. He even says to them, he says, brothers, do not grumble against each other. Even if you've been wronged, Do not grumble so that you might not yourself be judged. He doesn't let any of us get away with it, (laughs) James. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to say about the kind of person, the righteous person that is doing the praying. What then is effective, powerful prayer? Well, here again, let's look at the Greek, because it's energumene, which is, we get energy. It's, It's speaking of energy, that kind of sense. And it simply means this. The word means... Something that is set in motion. I love that. Something that is set in motion. When we pray effectively, when we pray fervently, the outcome of what we're praying for as those that are born again and saved is inevitable because we have set something in motion that has a consequence. That's what he's trying to say. That's why our prayer is effective. And so in verse 17, it's translated as effectual, fervent prayer. Yeah? It sets things in motion. It gets things going when we pray like this. And so Paul uses the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, 
You heard it from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you as a believer. It's the same word. It sets things in motion in your life, the word of God, if you let it transform you. That's what Paul is saying. It takes root in you. It bears fruit in you. It sets things in motion. There's an inevitable sense that what God births in your heart will have a consequence, will have fruit, will have an outcome as you live by the Spirit of God. Amen? It's incredibly encouraging. It's also, he uses it in uh, Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. It's the same word. Do you think anything could stop God when he decided to raise Jesus from the dead? No. And that's what James is saying. When we pray, as righteous, those that are righteous, that those, those that are, are um, in Christ, with a living righteousness in our lives, the outcome of our prayer is as guaranteed as Jesus being raised from the dead. It's the, that's what he's saying. It's the consequence is inevitable. Isn't that amazing? Ephesians 3.20, he says it again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And in the same Greek word, that which sets things in motion in your life. That same power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The inevitable consequence is that there's fruit. Man, it's incredibly encouraging. And so that's why James speaks here of effective prayer that sets things in motion. And so I want to say this to you. As we um, pray, as we learn to pray as a church, it doesn't mean that we're lazy. It doesn't mean that we uh, just randomly praying for stuff and, and kind of shotgunning everything. It, he's not talking about that. When you're praying this kind of effective prayer, you know what you are doing. There's a consciousness of, of what you're doing, but the difference is this. It's not your burden that you're carrying. It's the Holy Spirit's burden that is given to you suddenly when you are praying. Have you ever had moments like that? What I'm talking about is this. We can come to a prayer meeting with our little requests, our little things that we want God to answer. Or when you get up in the morning and you pray, you can have your little list. And you can pray your things, and you can ask God to answer those things. And He does. He does. But I'm, what I'm talking about, effectual prayer, is not quite that. It's like when you are praying, suddenly by the Holy Spirit, He pops something into your head and your heart that you never thought of praying. And suddenly there's an energy, and you just know that you are praying the will of God. And as you pray, you know that your prayer is being answered. And there's the sense that the, the, the heart of God is being communicated to you, and you are simply praying that back, and you know that you are being answered in the moment. Have you ever had a time of prayer like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? That is effectual, fervent prayer. And that's what he's trying to encourage us in. It's not, it's not that we come to God with our little list of things. It's as we pray, out of relationship with God, he reveals his heart to us, and the Holy Spirit brings confirmation of that, and we pray that back to him, and then there's life. And so I want to say to you, I encourage you, that we, we learn to pray as a church. And I think my background, some of the most exciting meetings that I've ever been in have been prayer meetings. It doesn't have to be boring. It's only boring when we come with our little list. <laughs> Isn't it? We come with our little list, and we say, Lord, 
Sorry, that was very loud. <laughs> we want to pray for the missionaries in China. And then someone prays for the missionaries in China. And then we come and say, Lord, we want to pray for the starving children in Africa. And we pray for I'm not saying those are bad things. And we need to pray for those things. But what I'm talking about is in the context of a prayer meeting where suddenly God reveals by the Spirit what He wants us to pray right there. And then we pray with all of our hearts and there's this energy that comes, there's this life that comes, there's this fire that comes, and you just know that you are praying the heart of God at that moment. And there's a breakthrough in the heavens and you know it, you can feel it. That's what I'm talking about. That's exciting. No, it's obviously not exciting. <laughs> there's an unction. That's, a, that's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? The unction of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced that in your lives? You have, haven't you? When you pray, you just know that it's the Holy Spirit's being to you. You know in your knower. And God answers. And that's what James is trying to encourage us in. And he's saying, this is the spirit of intercessory prayer that God gives to us. And those that learn to pray like this can experience extraordinary things. And let that be a journey for us as a church. Let us not say we know these things intellectually. Let's not say, oh, that's, you know, I know that. Let's experience it. Let's live in it. That it's living for us. And inevitably, it comes back to chapter 1, verse 5, where he said, James said, when we pray, let us pray without doubting. Without doubting. I want to say to you, if you are desiring wisdom from heaven, if you don't know what, you, what, what to do with your life, if you learn to pray like this, if I learn to pray like this, the inevitable consequence is that we will get wisdom from heaven if we learn to pray like this. And God promises if we ask, we will get it. He will give it to us, and He'll give generously to us if we ask in faith, not doubting. Amen? The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, Insincere, uh, not insincere, sincere. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 17. That's what wisdom from heaven looks like. It's the very opposite of demonic, sensual, earthly wisdom. That we can just, you want earthly wisdom? Go surf the internet. Then you'll get earthly wisdom. You'll get everyone's good idea about what you should do about your life, what therapy you need how you need to live sexually. You can get all earthly wisdom. The Bible says we need wisdom from heaven. And that comes as we learn to pray like this. And God reveals His heart to us. It's the very opposite of that thing that I've just said now. And I want to say, when we learn to pray like this, the inevitable consequence is love. How can you be angry with someone when you're praying like this? How can you be? You can't be, <laughs> because the pure Holy Spirit in you is communicating with the pure Spirit of God. And when you pray like this, you will not have an enemy in the world. You will not carry any forgiveness in your hearts, because Jesus will be, trans be transforming you and me as we pray. So then, in conclusion, just want to talk a little bit about having our prayers answered. You see, I think this that we can be confident that our prayers are answered, that we know our prayers are being answered if we ask for the right thing. <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? Sometimes we don't really know if we're asking for the right thing and we ask with the wrong motives. And so that's why I'm saying to you that James is saying this fervent prayer of righteous men and women 
is the kind of prayer that God wants to, us to learn to journey in. Because this is the kind of prayer that has power, and this is the kind of prayer that gets things done. Because then we're not praying our own list. We're praying what the Spirit has for this church. Yes? And we want what the Spirit has for this church. I've tried my good ideas. Over the years, we've tried many things. Some of them have been God's ideas, and some of them have been good ideas. But we need wisdom from heaven, don't we? So the best way to get to wisdom from heaven is to learn to pray like this. By the power of the Spirit inspiring us. So I want to encourage you, the next time we have a family prayer time, that you come and learn with us how to pray like this. I'm not an expert. None of us are. We are just journeying together. We're saying, God, teach us how to pray. Teach us your heart. What do you have for this community? What do you want to do through this church? I came from de- back from Denmark with many things just popping in my heart, inspiring me, uh, thinking, oh, we could do something. And Hamel Hempstead, we could do something. And Harpen did, we could do... Oh, God, but we, we need people. I-, I can't G you up to do that. I can't. It's too exhausting, for one. And two, if it's not in your heart, it's not going to bear any fruit. It has to be by the power of the Spirit. And so, I want to say, when we start praying like this, something phenomenal happens. You have the reward of praying like that. And secondly, you have the joy of seeing your prayers answered. Isn't that amazing when you see your prayer answered before your very eyes? It's incredible. It's incredible. It's a double enjoyment for us. And that's the great joy of learning to pray like this. And actually, the word there, uh, the Greek word is translated polu, P-O-L-U. And it means much. Uh, this, this kind of prayer uh, is very effective. It's a superlative word. It means multitude, great in quantity. Uh, that's what effective prayer releases. It, it releases an abundance. Amen? And so I want to encourage you in, that we learn to journey together like this, so we might be more effective in how we pray. So I want to say that the, the, the difference that I see between the prayer of faith and the prayer of the righteous person that is effective is this. The prayer of faith is a supernatural intervention of God in our lives where we have a specific request and God, out of His mercy and His grace, He answers that specific request. That's the, that's the prayer of faith. It's a miraculous thing. It's the intervention of God in our lives. The prayer of righteous men and women is this, that we don't come with our little list. We, as we pray, we get the heart of God. And as we pray back the heart of God, He answers that prayer. That's the difference. That's the prayer of righteous men and women. Amen? Doesn't that encourage you and release you just to pray and pray in the Spirit, knowing that as you pray in the Spirit, God is revealing His heart to you for what you need to pray for. So guys, can I ask, let's, let's you know, just, just again, James said, reminded us, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Even if you've been a, Christ, a Christian for 25 years, and you say, I've heard this all before. I just want to encourage you. Let's learn to walk together in humility. James doesn't say the prayers of those that have been Christians for a long time will be powerful and effective. He says the prayers of the righteous person will be powerful and effective as it works. So my final encouragement to you is let's, let us be a church that is humbly walking together, that is saying, God, teach us, that is not experiencing the resistance of God because we are puffed up and proud. Let us walk as a forgiving church. His prayers are not being hindered because we haven't forgiven each other. That's when we'll see power.
that's when we will see the community transformed, impacted, and changed. Amen?